Welcome to the EMS Educator Podcast, powered by Prodigy EMS. Join us for relevant, high-quality discussions around the best practices in EMS education. You'll find interviews with experts in EMS, education, simulation, medical direction, leadership, and more. Hello and welcome back to another edition of the EMS Educator Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Rob Lawrence, and uh, we're off on a great roll this year. Uh, We spoke to the Australians last time. Uh, We're firmly back in the United States this time, and we're talking about driving behavioral change in emergency medical services, amongst other things. And so let's get this uh, road on the show and bringing my amazing co-host, Hilary Gates. H, how are you? Doing great, Rob. Thanks. Um, Today, I'm really excited to uh, talk to Tom Growey. And the reason I'm excited to talk to him is because Maya introduced me to him at uh, NAEMSP in Austin. And I think, uh, Tom, it might have been an introduction that you regret because it might have been late at night after a few beverages, but you were (laughs) so friendly and sweet. And uh, most importantly, I then went to your talk at NAMSP and really was in, in, enthralled by how you want to design education that actually improves performance. And Maya and I were talking about this and her um, first question is going to be about the actual title uh, of your of your talk. And um, let's first uh, have you introduce yourself. Yeah, and thanks, Hillary. It was uh, great, really great to meet you too um, at at that that great evening at uh, NAMSP. And I'm really happy, you know, to be here. Um, Long time listener, first time caller, I would say for this podcast. So, um, yeah, so I am a uh, assistant medical director of quality and education for uh, the Milwaukee County EMS system. And then I'm the medical director for the city of Kenosha's fire department and a medical director for Gateway Technical College's uh, EMS training program. So we're a couple different hats and I work clinically at the Medical College of Wisconsin and uh, Milwaukee. So, yeah, really like this whole topic of, you know, how to how to teach people to get behavior change is um, uh, could also probably have the subtitle of like how I've learned from my mistakes, you know, as a medical director and um, how frustration has kind of driven me to change the way that I teach. Um, and so, it, it, yeah. <laughs> on the note of mistakes, I just have to say this. Um, after I'd been teaching a little bit in my fire department, my students came to me and said, can you talk more about the times you screwed up? And I said, what? Why? And they said, those are the most impactful for us. And it makes us feel like it's okay to screw up. And it's also showing that you care about what you did wrong so you can fix it next time. Um, And I think that's a really great um, empathetic way to teach to our brand new EMS providers. Yeah, that honestly, the lecture I remember most from residency was when one of my the the uh, one of the physicians that I looked up to the most actually gave a whole talk about how he put a central uh, venous catheter in incorrectly, um, and it just it it you know I still remember it to this day for that exact exact thing you know it was this idea of somebody who I like worship you know who I think is an amazing provider also makes mistakes you know and they're open to talk about it um, just had such a big impact on on me as a provider and as an educator too. It's a great point. So, Tom, and this is uh, this is Maya Dorset, who uh, is the medical director at Prodigy, um, but also I think longtime collaborator um, and great fan of Tom. Uh, we've worked together on a number of projects, and 
I really admire uh, you, Tom, as an educator and as a thinker for a lot of reasons. And unfortunately, I was uh, in bed sick during your talk, um, but I've gotten to like review the slides and uh, luckily you sent me a recording. And I think, you know, this idea of grounding and sort of failure and learning, there's a hint of that in the title. So the title of your talk was Designing Education That Actually Improves Performance. And uh, I think words are important. And I focused of all the words there, I focused on the word actually. And I'm asking you, like, why was actually part of the title? What do you mean by that? How is that related to the content that ended up being part of that talk? Yeah, and that's a great question. Um, and I think that it, it's really to the whole point about my failures. <laughs> you know, I, I taught, I've taught, given a lot of lectures in my in my day where I thought that what I was teaching was making people better at their jobs, you know, and spent a lot of time in in designing education that I thought would do that. And then um, became kind of surprised when I realized that that wasn't happening, you know? So it's really trying to get at this idea that you probably think that you're having a bigger impact than you might actually be having. And you probably think that your education might be getting people to do things differently um, because you, you know, are able to modulate your voice appropriately and people, you know, seem engaged, but that doesn't mean that they actually do anything differently when they walk away or that they remember, you know, and it might not be because they don't like, you know, they don't like what you're saying. They just might not remember, you know, everything that you're trying to get them to, that you're teaching them about. So, so that word was, um, was chosen for, uh, uh, I was very deliberate in picking that because of, again, what I had learned from learning more about interacting more with my students and their thoughts and their, what they've taken away from the training that I've created and, and uh, rolled out. Can you give an example of what you mean by that? Like a concrete example of a situation where you tried to improve performance with education, but it wasn't the right sort of medicine for what ailed the system? Yeah. So uh, I think one that that uh, jumps out a lot was I was a new medical director and I'd been tasked with the idea of trying to improve our STEMI accuracy um, for for an EMS agency. And I thought, all right, well, you know, I just got to teach people how to read EKGs, you know, so I put together pretty robust training on uh, STEMI mimics and and, you know, identifying STEMIs. Um, and was really excited to see that it made no difference in how um, people, you know, and how people performed. Um, so, I, and I think that was at a system level, level, but, you know, I have other, other examples where I've, you know, maybe given a presentation on um, a new medication that I, you know, that I rolled out, or let's say we, you know, uh, changed the dose on Toradol from 30 to 15, you know, is another example, thinking this is a pretty easy thing to teach, you know, let me explain to you why. And then, you know, you get these emails about, oh, doc, we messed up. We gave the wrong dose of, you know, this medicine. Um, and I know we just talked about it three weeks ago. You know, um, So I, I think there are there are big ways you can identify this, but also probably even in small ways that uh, that people are just not not acting differently or behaving differently. And, and it's not because they're not well intentioned or they don't want to do things better. Um, there's usually just because there's a lot more to, um, to how we behave and how we practice medicine, um, than what we might've heard once and thought was interesting or what we, uh, what we intend to do. 
I think it's worthwhile um, making an observation about something that you said, which is we actually measured, right? We knew what our improvement, our levels were of sort of performance prior, and we continued to measure those after the intervention. And I think that that is a marker of already a high performing system, like a, a different level of understanding of what performance is. You know, this is, there's not that many of us, I think, who have the titles of both quality improvement or education in a way that actually understands what's quality improvement education. Interestingly, I am also, right, like an associate regional medical director for quality and education. And I consider those things two separate roles that I have um, underneath a, a single title. So I think there's a lot of systems that do the education and think the problem is solved um, because they never fully defined the problem and they don't continue to measure performance on the problem. So I think it's worth pausing and understanding sort of the work and insight that goes beyond the ability to make the statement performance did not change um, because that actually requires a system that has a culture that is continually measuring performance that I think keeps you honest, keeps you reflecting, lets you know whether or not you've succeeded or failed in changing behavior. I think that's um, I think that's a great point, and I and I think that it's easy to hear something like that and also be overwhelmed and think, wow, it's so it, that's a lot of extra work to monitor how you're um, performing in an area um, all for what one lecture that you're going to give one time, you know, um, and to see if there's change. So I, I think it's worth thinking of, well, what are some things that you might already be measuring or, you know, you don't have to measure something perfectly and catch every instance, you know, um, you can, you can just talk to people later on a few months later and be like, Hey, have you encountered this? And Hey, how did you manage this? Or even just do a spot check, you know, after, uh, again, a little while after, um, something after you teach on something and do a quick spot check and just see if people are, are practicing or behaving differently than, uh, than before you, you know, gave that lecture presented that content. And this is where I got to nerd out again on on the education of uh, educators, which is uh, lacking in EMS. We've said that a million times and everyone knows it. But what what do we have baked into our processes as educators to assess our own teaching process? What do we have uh, to prove that or uh, assess that we know um, what our students know? And how do we know that? And um, most of us uh, will... Um, admit to for time constraints and many other reasons, teaching a, a concept or a lecture or doing um, a presentation or doing some, you know, psychomotor stuff, um, and then sort of wrapping up and walking away and um, maybe saying, I hope they got that. That felt like it went well. And we make these sort of vague, uh, subjective comments um, about how well the students uh, understood or to Tom's point, um, how much they nodded or seemed engaged, but we're not exactly sure if they got the concept. So in, in the kind of edu speak of um, teacher education, one of the things we talk a lot about is these, these check-ins or formative assessment that are really important as you're teaching um, instead of only waiting until a summative assessment or, you know, kind of the, the big unit test or something like that, which is often delayed, often later, um, not directly during the lesson or even right after it. So we don't know what the cause and effect are. So some of those things really um, can be assessed by building in, baking in to your lesson plan, 
places where you pause and stop and ask them to regurgitate and or explain to the person next to them on a piece of paper to you uh, what they've learned. And um, those are really little tricks that don't take a lot of time. They're not hard to do, but if we're so freaked out about covering content, we often skip them. Um, and so I'm sure that's something, Tom, that you um, have put in place in your own teaching practices um, that others can do as well. Yeah, and I think you kind of hit it on the head and uh, with your comment about um, we're so afraid of covering content, you know, and I think and I think the other thing that, you know, I think a lot of people, they teach because, because of how they've been taught before, you know, and a lot of times you're kind of told, hey, you need to give a lecture on um, EKGs, you know, or you need to give a lecture on airway. Like that's like such a broad topic, you know, you could go to weeks long courses on airway, right? So all you start to think about is content and what content do I need to get in here? You know, and, and this is, again, one of the lessons I learned was I found myself like somebody who loves teaching and loves writing lectures. You know, I would spend like a day, a couple days writing a, a lecture that had all the content in it. And I felt really happy about it, you know. And then after I um, teach it, you know, I was incidentally because I wasn't actually looking for changes and improvement uh, to your point, Hillary, incidentally realizing that this isn't working, you know. Um, and I spent a whole bunch of time on something that made no difference, you know, um, really in, in anything that was centered beyond, you know, people nodding at me when they're sitting in the audience, you know? Um, and I think that the other advantage that you get, uh, with what Hillary's saying about checking in and making sure learners are working is it, it makes your teaching better because I think it makes you have more awareness of what you want people to get out of your talk. You know, um, if you're thinking about, well, what do I want, you know, people to how am I going to assess what they learned? You know, what's going to be let's say it is like a short quiz or something. What's going to be in that quiz? What's going to be the quiz question that I'm going to throw into this, you know, video recording that's going to engage after 10 minutes, you know, and then am I really hitting that material hard enough to make sure that they're taking that point away? Or is that point going to end up getting lost because it's one tiny point in a sea of nine minutes of things that really are inconsequential to, you know, what I want, what I want people to get out of this. It's like the Mary Kondo education, right? It's like Mary Kondo is like cognitive load for life, right? <laughs> like, like, does this bring me joy? I'm like, is this important to the outcome that I'm interested in? Yeah. Yeah, I think we've sort of hit peripherally on a lot of different ways that you have sort of changed your behavior and maybe actually enhanced your performance, right? Changed your behavior as an educator. So I'm interested in hearing from you. What do you think are in key learning points? What are the key features of education that changes behavior that you apply every single time that you teach based on what you've learned from, I would say, all the mistakes and failures that have made you the educator you are today? Well, I think the first thing is knowing what you want people to do differently, you know, when you walk away. So like, you know, we'll talk, we can talk about learning objectives a little bit. Um, and I am very much a convert and used to hate learning objectives and write my learning objectives after I wrote my talk, you know, I think we've all done that before. <laughs> But, um, but, you know, but I start with like even putting learning objectives aside, I, I just always like to start with, well, what do I want people to do differently? You know, how do I want, how do I want people to behave differently after, after this education that I'm creating? Um, 
So that, that's the first thing, um, because if you don't if you don't clearly define that, you're going to, again, end up with a um, with a long lecture or whatever, however you want to teach that doesn't actually get to that point and doesn't people get people to do there. So after I have that big educational or that behavior change or education goal, then I consider what are the three steps that I need to get there. And that's really where my learning objectives come in, you know, um, if I want people to be able to, um, uh, let's say, I want people to be able, you know, again, getting back to my STEMI example, right? Really, it's not that I want people to be able to interpret EKGs. I want people to accurately, um, you know, activate the cath lab, right? So it's not about they need to be able to recognize a STEMI. Like, sure, maybe that's part of it. But I need to really get down to the the deep dive issues of why they're not activating the cath lab. You know, are they worried that um, that they're going to get in trouble? You know, are they going to get yelled at by the cardiologist if they didn't activate or if they did activate? Is the medical director going to send them a nasty email, you know, when they miss a STEMI? And really what it usually comes down to with that example is they're just trying to do what they think is right for the patient, you know. And they're like, well, I'm not, you know, I looked at the CKG doc and I was pretty sure it actually wasn't a STEMI, but this patient looked really sick. And I knew that if I activated the cath lab, I was going to get a whole bunch more resources there. And a cardiologist will actually look at the CKG right away and be at the bedside. Um, And that seemed like that was in the best interest for the patient. You know, usually that's what's driving them. So, you know, so really like kind of answering your question with uh, (laughs) two points here, but so you got to understand the problem a little bit better, but you know, once you have that main solution you want to do, then you build those learning objectives based on what you need to change. So if my, my concern is that my, um, providers don't want my, uh, don't want the patient, to um, suffer any harm because of a mystemi, then one of my learning objectives needs to be something around, um, addressing that in the way that I'm teaching this, you know, uh, reassuring them that if they don't activate the cath lab, that bad things will not happen to this patient if they make a mistake. Um, because unless I, you know, unless I address that barrier, then the prac- their behavior is not going to change at all. And it might not even be about, you know, about a um, 12 lead itself, but about the patient. I always start everything with saying like, what is the change I hope to inspire? And I like use the word inspire specifically because to get people to change, you have to link into some emotional connection with them as a learner. And it feels like very touchy feely and unscientific. um, But the reality is people are grounded in, right? This is why we incorporate stories and why we incorporate cases. Cause if I can get somebody to emotionally connect with the why, then I think I'm going to get their engagement to, to change. Um, and that's part of, you know, like if you talk about the background on, there's somebody named Nancy Duarte. I think she wrote the best books on presentation design. And she has a book called Resonate that actually storylines what is the elements of a good presentation. And, right, she talks about it's a storyline and it's a, a change that happens over time. And so the qu- the thing you always have to say is what's the difference between where we are and where we want to be, which in education speak, right, is just the gap analysis, but a gap analysis does not inspire me emotionally to be a better educator like that yeah, term. So right. I just start with like my unscientific way of saying what's the change I hope to inspire. 
And, and what you said there is, um, Tom, you mentioned it too, is this whole idea for the cath lab activation. You don't want to look like an idiot. You want to do the right thing for your patient. You want them to get better and you want your medical director to like you and be impressed by you. So those are all emotional things, right? But you, in order to do those things and to achieve that success criteria, you have to know what a STEMI looks like on an EKG tracing, and you have to be able to interpret it properly and, and make those steps. So part of writing learning objectives also is uh, establishing a success criteria. So not just students will be able to accurately um, activate the cath lab, but then in your mind as an educator and communicate it to your students, you're telling them what does accurate mean? What is right. the, what are the elements of the accuracy? And you're right about learning objectives being kind of um, sometimes fraught with uh, anxiety for people because they don't like writing them or they seem forced or whatever. But if you're beginning with the end in mind, when you start writing your lesson and teaching your lesson, you really, really are going to end at the right spot and know that what you just taught is, is the right thing. Yeah. And I think like to your point, like, in, uh, you know, I think some education people out there will maybe like, you know, just uh, scream their, you know, scream at the top of their lungs when I say this. But, you know, when I'm trying to like get people that I'm mentoring in education to um, think about this, I even say, you know, I, th I, th I even tell them, like, don't get hung up on the action verbs. You know, I feel like when the first lecture that you get on, on writing learning objectives, everybody's like, you got to pick the right action verb. And I do think there is benefit eventually in getting to that point, but, but don't get hung up on that. You know, it's all about like, what do you want to do and how do you get there? And um, just being more deliberate with, uh, you know, beginning the end in mind, begin with the end in mind that, you know, seven habits of highly effective people, uh, you know, is that book where that came from? Like, you know, that, that just makes such a big difference in how you're, how you're designing content. I don't get hung up on the action verb. But I do, which I have like hanging above my <laughs> desk. <Yeah. laughs> but I think that the utility in thinking about that is right. Like at what level of Bloom's taxonomy do you want? Because your education right. delivery needs to match it. Right. So, and I agree. It's yeah. not the verb that matters. It's the level. Like, do I want somebody to demonstrate something? Do I want somebody to value something? Those are high things. And if they don't know anything about it, I'm not going to get them there on a, in a single lecture. If it is a higher level thing, I'm not going to get there by talking at them, right? Um, because they're not demonstrating to me that they're doing something, they're not valuing something in that in that context. Yeah. And and again, I think there is there is a, a reason for those verbs. And I use them and I have that the document that Maya, you sent me that's on my desktop, you know, that I pull up when I write these. But like, you know, I think getting getting somebody to start to buy into the to the advantage of objectives, you know, is step one. It's just writing out what you want to get out of it. And then, um, yeah, the delivery model is uh, is really uh, key when you get into these things a lot more, too. I've just been listening in awe to this conversation of uh, three very, very great educators. And, uh, you know, from, from I'm the operator right amongst you, which is why I'm being very quiet uh, today. But I have to tell you that, you know, teaching is leading. And you talked a lot about emotional intelligence because you need to have that to inspire your students as much as you do to deal with the, the, your workers, your staff, your teams. And so I fully, uh, I, I'm, I'm fully into that. And uh, thank you for having that discussion. However, before we go any further, let's just have a quick break and a word from our sponsor. 
Hello, I'm Christine Fichter, the Executive Director of EMS Gives Life. At EMS Gives Life, our mission is simple. We educate the EMS first responder community on how to become a living organ or bone marrow donor and then provide support if you choose to give this gift of life. Our organization was inspired by pro-EMS paramedic Will Lindbergh's selfless decision to anonymously donate a portion of his liver saving the life of a three-year-old boy. We know our community is full of heroes who perform life-saving acts every day. It is this heroism and selflessness that we're counting on. More than 6,000 people die each year on the transplant waiting list. Deceased donors are simply not enough. Living organ donors are desperately needed, and our community is up for the challenge. Would you consider being a living donor if you had the support you needed and the assurance that you would go to the top of the list if you ever needed a transplant in the future? Through our partnerships, we can make those promises. If you're curious about living organ or bone marrow donation, let's talk. And if you're already a living donor, we'd love to hear your story. You can find us at emsgiveslife.org. Thank you. And we're back. Thank you, Christine. Uh, And uh, EMS Gives Life. And don't forget, uh, if you're listening to us, whatever platform you're on, make sure you hit like and subscribe. And as I always tell everybody, look at your iPhone right now. There's a little plus mark in the top right-hand corner. Click that. It means you liked you subscribed and every time an episode of the ems educator podcast drops we notify you as simple as that so amazing discussion i'm not going to get in the way hillary carry on please <laughs> i think one of the things we can um, dwell upon just a little bit more because it's one of the domains of learning that we um, neglect the most um, is this idea of um, affective domain affective with an a of course um, and this n- really paying attention to our learners' needs. We pay attention often to the cognitive and the psychomotor, especially in EMS education. Uh, But as Tom mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, the emotions of the learner and what they're going through is uh, perhaps the most important and, as Maya said, the most motivating. Tom, I'd love to hear from you if you can think of some examples or or talk more about that idea of... um, teaching to the learner's values and um, identifying those. So, yeah, there definitely is. There was a comment that was made about um, the how being an educator is also like being a leader. And I think that there are a lot of leadership things that I've that I've learned that influence the way that I teach and the educator that I've become. And one of them was learning about uh, human centered de- um, human centered design and design thinking and uh, using that as a way to uh, be a leader, but also took that approach to my education uh, and how I am as a teacher. So I actually, you know, had in my my head what people thought about these like hour long lectures that I was recording. You know, we're busy, they're long, we're tired of watching Zoom videos, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and then I went out and I started to talk to people in my EMS system and said, hey, like, you know, I know that you guys, you know, do these quizzes, but I've seen the answer sheets, you know, sitting out like, you know, I know that this, that this happens. It's okay. Like I get it. You know, I just want to make it better. You know, I just want to make it better for you guys. And and let's have an open conversation about what's important to you in education and what good education is. Um, and I got a lot of good feedback that was about, um, you know, Hey, your videos are actually good, but you know, did you know that we have 40 other things going on this month that you weren't aware of that make it hard for us to sit down and watch a 60 minute video and interrupted, you know, um, you know, and another great example is everybody loves these in-person refreshers that we do twice a year, 
you know, we get great feedback. People love them. But when you're trying to get people to um, take a day off and come back to, you know, to go to training for a full day, it's challenging, you know, and I, and I totally get that because, you know, we've got a fire department that's got a lot of young people that have, that have um, young kids. Uh, hey, now I've got to find a babysitter for this day when usually I do childcare, you know. Um, hey, I haven't been able to see my family for, you know, days because my wife also works, etc. You know, and this is a day away from that. Um, you know, these are all real things that we experience. And this all really like just hit me in the face when I was doing, um, you know, when I was doing the yearly modules for my hospital to stay credentialed and making sure that I know which garbage bag the bloody gauze goes in. Um, you know, as I'm like, I hope my boss isn't listening, but like clicking through, you know, this while answering emails. Uh, and I was kind of at this moment where I'm like, man, how is this any different than what I'm asking, you know, my learners to do? Um, you know, because also I might really want to learn something, but if it's the one day off, I have a week and you're asking me to go to a four hour training, um, it's going to be hard to get me to go if that's the one day I'm going to get to see my, my wife and kids, you know, or do something different. Um, and I think having an appreciation of that, that's probably the most important thing that really changed the way that I think about how I do education, you know, what people want to learn and how they want to learn is not the same as me, you know, and if I'm teaching an audience of physicians, it's very different than an audience of EMS providers and, and how I get them to practice uh, differently. Um, that sounds like a leader I want to work for, by the way, um, and will stay and work for someone who understands my uh, my life. Um, and kudos to you for giving them grace instead of punishing them, but trying to dig into why this uh, uh, this system that you created um, resulted in something you weren't hoping for. Good for you. Maya. Yeah, it's amazing when you um, give some give people the benefit of the doubt and assume what is true that everybody just wants to do great for patients and do good for themselves and for their organization. Like how much further you can you can get. So and, that, and that's what adult learning is all about, right? So when we teach adults, yeah. it's a different uh, ball of wax than teaching kids. I feel like it also makes me happier in my job, right? Like. Because in one case, I think sometimes people are like, people didn't do this. Like, let's punish them. <laughs> We're not doing right? right. Like, let's <laughs> let's like add to the amount of stuff on their pile, right? By uh, punishing them, and that puts you so that you are across the table from people, right? Like, it's us versus them. Um, whereas in the other way, you're sitting on the same side of the table, trying to like figure things out yourself, like. I'm a huge Brene Brown fan, and she has this whole thing like feedback should always be given from the same side of the table. But to me, the the reason that because it's a shared vision, right? Like we're trying to achieve something together. Like how can we work together to make this better? And this is this is the the basics of quality improvement, right? The psychology of change, which is if you actually want to make a change, whether or not that's be more effective at education or a better clinical metric, you start with the people right, who are affected by that change, um, and ask them how to do it best. And I have a lot of work to do in this. And I definitely struggle because people's answers of how to do it best 
right? Uh, there's a bunch of different answers and it collides with my bandwidth to do things in, you know, three different ways. Cause sometimes the answer is like, this time works for me, this time works for me. And it's like, well, I only have four times in this month that I can <laughs> do this thing. Like I also have, you're like, I also want to see my kids. Um, but it's trying to make sure that like everybody's really respecting each other and understanding that everybody's really trying to do their best. We get it imperfect most of the time. Um, but we're all trying to, to work towards that. We've talked about a lot of things, I think, because we all really love talking about these things. What I'd like to do is sort of drill down into sort of a series of, you know, what are the big points? And what I loved about the lecture you gave at NAMSP is that you had like three key learning points, right, which is excellent educational design, like fit into threes. And what I'd like you to review for us is if you had to summarize, what are the features of education that actually changes performance? What would they be? Yeah. So I think, you know, I have kind of three rules that I, that are kind of the biggest points that I've uh, figured out. And the first is to solve education problems with education. So again, the whole STEMI example I gave, um, you know, that there are a lot of cultural reasons why people may or may not activate a cath lab. You know, I think about if you're trying to do education or roll out like a, a change with uh, lights and sirens utilization, that's another thing that's a lot more complicated than just sharing information. Um, these are problems that you're not going to improve or get behavior change on with a 30 minute or 60 minute uh, educational session. So you need to take a step back and decide, is there a better way to solve this? That's more, um, that's just, you know, that's way beyond the scope of today. But, but you know, maybe my education is a little part of that, but that, that's a bigger, bigger uh, thing to bigger piece to bite off and chew. Number two is about teaching to the learner's values. So again, you know, when I ask my crew, like, my crew's like, hey, what do you guys um, like about EMS education? It's case-based discussions that are real cases that we've been on um, that is hands-on. Like, that's what they tell me all the time, you know. Um, so how can I do that instead of giving them a recording, you know, and how do I incorporate that into the way that I teach? And I'll tell you one of the big teaching uh, content delivery things that I've been doing differently now is just sitting at a kitchen table at the firehouse, having a conversation with a crew about a case. Um, and it takes me like very minimal preparation. You know, we sit down, we have a great conversation and I distribute that as education and people really enjoy it and they listen to it and then they have their own conversations, you know, at the kitchen table about it. So finding ways to reach out to that. And then number three is, um, teaching to change and not to disseminate knowledge. So if you want your crews to do something different, like in refractory V-fib, you know, reposition the uh, cardiac monitor pads after three shocks, uh, you don't need to give them a 60 minute lecture on why that's important. You know, um, you need to think about what behavior changes they need to do and what things might be important to them uh, to get this to, uh, to get them to, you know, turn a patient over in the middle of CPR to put these pads on and figure out how you're going to get people to, to do that differently instead of just filling time with, you know, stats and research studies um, that say that this helps patients. So again, solving education problems with education, teaching to your learners values, and then teaching with the goal of uh, getting people to change and not necessarily to just disseminate more knowledge. 
I think that's a really effective checklist almost for education, uh, especially continuing education as a medical director or training officer or really anybody in EMS education. You start out saying really any educational medium, your goal is to inspire some sort of change and think about what that change would be. For the listeners of this podcast, which I think of as sort of continuing education for educators in a way, what would be the change that you hope to inspire? If they were going to do one thing differently tomorrow, what would it be? Yeah. And I would say if I had to get people to do one thing differently tomorrow, it would be talk to your learners about their education. Um, You know, what do they like? What do they value? What good education is to them? And if you can just get even a little bit of feedback and it doesn't have to be everybody, just from a couple people, you'd be surprised how you could use that uh, to make your education much better. So thank you, everybody, for uh, an amazing discussion. And uh, I've been compiling lots of notes here. And uh, I have to really just uh, thank you for your case-based, hands-on, kitchen table, change-focused, behavioral-based, stat-free tips. So that was pretty cool. So thank you very much for that. Um, And, of course, just to reiterate, solve education problems with education. Teach to your learners' values teach to change, not to disseminate knowledge. I think those are three essential and vital points. And of course, the massive takeaway for today. So thank you all very much. Tom, how can we follow you in the future? Yeah, so I am on uh, Twitter or X. Uh, I don't know if I'll ever get used to calling it X, but... um, Mm -mm, No. (laughs) Yeah, at uh, E-M-T-G-D-O. You can find me on Twitter. That's probably the the best way to uh, get a hold of me. And thanks for having me. And I'd be remiss if I didn't just give a shout out to the city of Kenosha's fire department who's put up with me as I've been learning all these things and trying new things out with them. Um, You know, they're a great EMS agency. I'm really lucky to work with and and have uh, been able to grow as a medical director with them over the past handful of years. So. And we sincerely hope they are enjoying right now sitting around the firehouse table listening to this episode of the EMS Educator podcast. Uh, Hillary, take us home. You know, the thing I heard the most today that just makes my heart soar is um, is Tom's humility as an educator and, a, and as a leader and his willingness to ask for and accept feedback, which is a really scary thing for educators who stand in front of large groups of people and hope they're doing the right thing. So... I think there are many nuggets here for educators, but as usual, I'll, I'll go back to the mantra of, you know, the philosophy of an educator and valuing our, our learners' needs, um, knowing that these people who signed up to do this job, they want to do well, they want to provide excellent care for their patients, and they want to learn and improve. And as long as we all remember that, we are the better for it. And again, thank you, everybody, in this edition of the EMS Educator Podcast. I'd like to thank uh, Maya, Tom, Hillary, and, of course, I've been Rob. And until next time, bye for now.